need to talk about our uh, emotional world. We pray, um, may it help us to, to dig deep and to maybe explore parts of us, God, that, that we have been afraid to explore in the past. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we started last week on a series called Voices of the Soul, and this series we gone going on for a little bit. Uh, I actually realized it's going to go on longer because I didn't even get through my whole sermon at the first service, so I guess it's going to be two parts. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, we were talking about emotions and um, learning just how to navigate our emotional worlds and learning how to open up our emotional worlds to God and to bring healing uh, in some of those areas of brokenness. And last week we started by talking about the importance of actually being able to uh, read our emotions, uh, the importance of actually discovering what is going on in, in our lives. And for some people that's naturally easier because you grew up maybe in a home where you had permission to express emotions in a healthy way, you had permission to acknowledge what was going on in your heart. Others... Um, it's not so easy. And I'm one of those folks who I didn't grow up in an emotional home. Uh, emotions were, were not necessarily okay or safe to express. And, and uh, I never really grew into that area until more recently, actually. And uh, it's been an interesting journey, a difficult journey. And part of the series has just come out of uh, some of the things I have learned. But, uh, but one thing that is very helpful if you find yourself being someone who has a hard time reading your emotions, is what we talked about last week is getting into the Psalms. Because the Psalms are a collection of songs and poems that are very emotionally raw. And a lot of times, if you don't know what is going on in your heart, you can, you can just read the Psalms and, and you'll come across stuff that you're like, that's exactly what's going on in my heart. I, I couldn't name it. But, but this is giving language to, to what is going on in my heart, and it gives voice to that. And for a long time, I was, I was very scared of the Psalms. Uh, I never spent a lot of time in the Psalms because it was kind of depressing. And it was like these emotional people, and, you know, I just want to be in the joy of Jesus. I don't want to be in the sadness of the Psalms. And it's only recently that I'm realizing that, that we are very emotional beings, and it's very good to be in the Psalms. It was Jesus' favorite book. The one he quoted most often was, was actually the Psalms. And yet today in, our, in the church world, we can be very afraid of, of certain emotions. And, and I talk about that today. Uh, but let me begin by just reading the Psalm that highlights uh, just the emotional world and that God is saying it's okay to express emotion in healthy ways. And it's okay, as we talked about last week, to express very raw emotion. And sometimes this kind of emotion scares us in the church today. Um, but here it is, Psalm 88. And notice it says, for the choir director, this was a, a worship song, if you will, a song that they would have sung in the temple as part of their worship to God. Uh, it says, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung, sung to the tune the suffering of affliction. And so, if you read the Psalms, you realize that they have a lot of Psalms of lament, a lot of songs about the struggle of suffering. The Psalms are very, very real. And it's a Psalm of He-Man, the Ezraite. I don't know if you were a He-Man. I was a He-Man power fan guy back in when I was a kid. But anyways, here's the, here's the Psalm. Again, 
This is just going to be a lovely worship song. We're going to bring this one in next week. <laughs> oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer, listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. And then there's an interlude, which is like guitar solo. Right? That's where it goes. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Interlude. Great time for another guitar solo. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O oh Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day and night. O oh Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's the end of the psalm. Doesn't end in hope, doesn't end in joy. It's just a psalmist who is in misery, expressing how he is feeling, and we know that's not all theologically correct. He probably knew that as well, but again, the psalms give us permission to express things that we know that might not actually be theologically correct. I mean, it's just, it's, it's raw emotion, and if you start reading and studying the psalms like I have been, it's, it's, it's all over the place, and it teaches us that it's okay to express emotion in healthy ways. And we're going to talk later on in the series how to express it in healthy ways, because you can express it in very unhealthy ways. But th this is a psalm. This is one of this, this, this many psalms that Jesus read and loved. And, and uh, psalms, again, is the most quoted book, Old Testament book in the, in the New Testament. Now, I don't know if you've been to Calgary. It'll change here to lead us to our next thought. Um, but we have been to Calgary quite a bit. I mean, uh, Marie's grandma lives there, and so usually once a year at least we'll go and visit uh, and Marie, and we often go there in the, in the fall when there's a little conference in Banff for Canmore. So we often come into Calgary uh, from from the west, in on Highway One into 16th Ave. And you know, after driving for a long, long time, you know, seven hours, and then you get to the city and you start going into 16th Ave, and you just hit light after light. And usually after the day, it's like rush hour when you get there, and it's busy, and there's it's horrible and messy and traffic, and you're like. I wish I was back in Nelson. Then you finally get, we get to Center Street, and then we go, then we go left up Center Street, and there's more lights and traffic, and it's, you know, it just seems like it takes as long as the whole seven hours to get through Calgary, and it was always frustrating and kind of miserable. But then, a number of years ago, they built the, the lovely 201, 
you know, the ring road that they're building around Calgary, which isn't quite done yet. But you would drive in on Highway 1, and then there it would be, and you'd just swing a little off the ramp, and then you'd go up, and there were no traffic lights. And uh, traffic was light all the time on there. And I, we could just swing up and then just take a little turn off, and we'd be at Grandma's house. It was simple. It was easy. It was, you know, a shortcut. Saved a lot of time and a lot of stress. And, and we love shortcuts when it comes to driving. We love shortcuts in certain areas of our life. We, we like the easy road. But when it comes to our emotional world, the easy road is not the best road to take. And so often when it comes to the junk inside, we're like, I don't want to deal with the traffic lights and the, and the roadblocks and the brokenness and the stress and the anxiety of all that stuff in my past or the stuff I'm dealing with. I just, I just want to just go around it and I'm just going to, you know, just live in the joy and then just going to just pretend everything's okay when the reality of everything is not okay. I mean, research has now shown that when you suppress emotion or ignore what's going on, it actually doesn't go away, but it actually gets stronger. And it usually ends up coming out in, in destructive, destructive ways. And so I want to talk on the subject about taking the hard road and not taking the ring road, not taking the easy road, but actually confronting some of the junk that, that we face. And this is often called spiritual bypassing. And this, as a lot of thinkers today are pointing out, has really infected the church. That we have become, in some ways, spiritual bypassing masters. And it has left a lot of people emotionally unwell. And what is spiritual bypassing? Here's a couple definitions. It's the use of spiritual ideas or practices to avoid facing or dealing with unresolved emotional content or pain. It is the avoiding dealing with our true feelings. Or spiritual bypassing simply means that you use spiritual concepts, platitudes, or activities to bypass or avoid dealing with your true feelings, especially the hard ones like anger, grief, fear, loneliness, envy, and shame. And because we don't want to deal with those difficult emotions or we don't want to, others to express them because when others express those, we get really uncomfortable, we just like, let's not go through downtown, let's go around. <laughs> and so we spiritual bypass. Now, some examples, maybe. Some examples might be, uh, we might say, you know, maybe you're feeling extreme loneliness, and you just kind of quickly say, well, I'm not lonely, I have Jesus. I have Jesus, I I'm not lonely. And you just take that, that feeling, just push it down, put your foot on it, and just like, I have Jesus, so I'm not lonely. Whenever it pops up, you're just like, I have Jesus, but I'm not lonely. And instead of actually asking why you're lonely, or exploring that, and talking to someone about it, you just push it down and bypass it, saying, well, I just have Jesus. Well, Adam and Eve, I mean, when Adam was there, he had God in a perfect world, and God still said, it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, loneliness can be a real emotion, and sometimes we can just spiritually bypass it by saying, well, you know, I, I have Jesus. Or don't be angry at that person. Jesus told us to love our enemies. You know, if someone comes up to you, and they're, they're really angry at somebody, and they're, they're fuming mad, and, and it's making you uncomfortable because you're like, you know, Jesus told us to love my en our enemies, and, and that person's really mad, and so we quickly try to shut it down. We quickly try to say, you know, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, Jesus, you know, uh, says you're about to love your enemies. You're in sin. You've got to make that right, and, and you just, instead of actually meeting them where they're at and talk about, you know, how did that person hurt you? What's, what's going on inside? We quickly just slam a spiritual thing over it. Or uh, maybe, maybe this one. I don't have any shame. My identity is in Christ. 
That's true. In Jesus, there, there is no shame. Uh, anyone in Christ, the Bible says three times, they will never be put to shame. But the reality is often we still feel shame because we're living in this broken world and we're living with our broken selves. And sometimes we can run into this, as soon as we start to feel shame, we just, again, we push it away, like, that's horrible to feel that way. My identity is in Christ. And and instead of actually looking at why you feel shameful and inviting God into that shame to to work on it, we just kind of try to, again, push it away and slap a spiritual thing on it to try to make us feel better, but it's still there. Now, you don't need counseling or therapy, just pray. I mean, I believe in the power of prayer. I know you do, too. We've seen miracles in this church. There are miracles where cancer has disappeared. There's miracles where people who have struggled with cocaine for years, who it's just gone like that. And, and, and so often sometimes we can get in this place where we're, I'm just, my answer is just prayer. <laughs> but as we're going to talk about, sometimes God wants us to take us the hard road. Sometimes we do need therapy. Sometimes we do need counseling. Sometimes we do need to talk to, to somebody. And often when it comes to our emotional world, there are actually no shortcuts. And what we'll find is that God often wants to work with us through our emotional world rather than us just sitting back and saying, God, would you just take this away? Or I'm not bitter. I forgive. You know, it's bad to feel bitter. So I've forgiven you. But you know, I found out Christians do a really bad job at forgiving one another. We love to say, oh, I forgive them. <laughs> I've totally forgiven them. And Jesus, you're forgiven. But they're like, I'm never talking to that person again. I hate that person. And like inside, there's no heart forgiveness. <laughs> and the reason is, is because we often spiritually bypass forgiveness. We're just like, you ignore those feelings of how you've been hurt and what it's cost you. And you just quickly go, I forgive them. We're never going to see them, talk to them. I don't want to look at them and I hate them. And there's all these horrible thoughts inside. You haven't. That's not heart forgiveness. The only way you get to true forgiveness is when you actually acknowledge the emotional pain. And you actually acknowledge the cost of what you're actually forgiving. And, and, and so it's, it's very important when it comes to forgiveness that you don't spiritually bypass because it does not work. Or it's a simple thing like I'm not sad or broken and I have joy to the full. And it's true, there's this joy to the full in Jesus, but it's a broken world. You know, I'm sad today because, you know, I love Chris McDonald and I'm not going to see him for a while. And we're living in a broken world and, and the Psalms teach us that, that to not push that away, to not hide that, to, to not think that it's, it's even bad or wrong. And, and, and often we can get very uncomfortable, again, again, when people around us express emotion, we want to spiritually bypass. Here's just a story I just picked up this week. Uh, this gal said, I shared with my church a time of prayer and specific worship song that helped me in an anxiety attack to encourage others to talk about it and, and what might help them. And was told, this would be afterwards, thank you for your brave confession of sin. I knew to never, ever share in my church again. And probably all of us have experienced this in some way. You know, there's something going on in your life and Maybe you're thinking about going to prayer, or maybe you're thinking about telling somebody, you're like, oh, if I say that, they're probably going to shame me, because they're going to say, oh, that's just sin. You shouldn't feel that way. You're a Christian. You should be better than that, or you need to be living in the joy, brother, and, you know, whatever. I mean, we can quickly spiritually bypass instead of meeting someone in the Psalms, and working with them, and meeting them there, and then lifting them up with the hope of Jesus and goodness. So why do we spiritually bypass? 
Why do we do this? Why, as many thinkers today say that the church is infected with spiritually, this, this idea of bypassing our emotional and broken world? Well, first of all, because uh, we can uh, we spiritually bypass because we might assume that this is what Christianity is about. That Christianity is about Disneyland, bubbly, sparkly, joyous world. And, and so if you're not feeling like you have sparkles all over you, then there's something wrong with you. And if you're not like overflowing with joy at every single moment of the world uh, of your life and every single second, then there, there must be something wrong. You must be in sin or you must not be as close to God as other people. That, that Christianity is only about the highs of life. And in many ways, we, we perpetuate this in church. And, you know, and looking back, even in sermons that sometimes I have, because we can spend a lot of time talking about you know, those kinds of things. But when you actually take a look at the Bible, like for instance, the Psalms. Again, Jesus' favorite book. 40% of the psalms are psalms of lament, songs expressing anger or sadness or grief or despair or struggle or anger at God. 40% of the psalms, and, and I was talking to, to Danielle and Troy after worship practice on Thursday, and we were, I just said, hey, you know, you know, I'm talking about this, and I was trying to think through songs, like, how many songs do we have that have lament portions in them? And we were kind of thinking through, and we we're like... Very, very, very few. There's some with a few lines, and we picked one with a couple lines for after the service. But, but again, this is missing kind of in our, in our modern worship, this, this idea of, you know, meeting people with where they're at. Maybe they come to church, and they're broken and sad, and the only songs are about, you know, love and joy and victory, and, and it can give you hope, but sometimes you're just like, God, would you just meet me where I am in my pain? And meet me here so I can move forward? I mean, again, we might think about Jesus being this bubbly, sparkle-filled guy that was just always bouncing off the roof with happiness, and, and yet uh, he expressed the full range of emotions. In Isaiah 53, it says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. And in, in sort of church world today, we would never describe Jesus that way. He's the man of joy, and he's the man who's just bubbly and sparkly, and and yet Isaiah said he, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with the deepest grief because he was walking in a world with broken people and he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and seeing the corruptness of the religious system. And, and that was, that's hard on us. It was hard on Jesus. Now here's just another psalm. Again, uh, this is for the choir director. This is <laughs> a worship song. This is you know, what they sing in the temple. I mean, just think about you know, next week if we brought this, this little worship song in. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. May all his offspring die. May his family name be blotted out in the next generation. May the Lord never forget the sins of his fathers. May his mother's sins never be erased from the record. May the Lord always remember these sins and may his name disappear from human memory. What a lovely worship song that would be, eh? <laughs> Again, 
That, that's kind of frightening for us in, in the modern church. Like, I mean, like, what the heck is this guy doing? I mean, Jesus again taught us to love our enemies, and that's so far from that. But, but again, the Psalms are just saying, like, it's okay to feel really frustrated and to, to, to get that out on page or to write your own psalm because it's only when you're actually really honest with your emotions that you can invite God into it. And if you just spiritually bypass and you know, everything's fine, it's great, you know, I just love that person, but inside you're just like really ticked off. I mean, you got to acknowledge, and you got to be very accurate, and that's what the Psalms do. They accurately help us acknowledge. And if you're just actually really honest with yourself, and you're actually someone who can be in touch with your emotional world, you will understand this psalm. When someone really hurts you and really has done something horrible to you, sometimes there are things that, we, we, that are, they freak us out, like, how could I even think such a thing? Because you're human, because God has given you emotion. Uh, again, the Psalms give us permission like this. So uh, we spiritually bypass because we might assume that this is what Christianity is. Uh, Kelly Germain, a trauma therapist, kind of in a raw way, said this. Whether it's a dark room with a fog machine or a classic sanctuary with a hymnal, our church worship gatherings are geared to numb us out and avoid pain. We show up, sing songs of hope, exchange greetings, and leave without talking about the death around us. If someone, often a prophet, suggests we talk about pain and injustice, someone else is right there to accuse them of not bringing in the hope of Jesus. We are addicted to spiritually bypassing the pain. And we know why, because who wants to go down Center Street and 16th Ave of Calgary? I want to take the ring road. It's easier, it's more fun, it's more joyful, it's, it's more enjoyable, but it doesn't lead to healing. And if we want to see more emotional maturity in our worlds and, and more love for others, then, then the hard road is what we got to take. Secondly, we spiritually bypass when we believe that we can't face or change what is going on inside. And one thing that I've learned as a pastor for the last 20 years is that every single person has stories of immense pain. A lot of times we don't share them. A lot of times we hide them. But every person has stories of immense pain and brokenness and shame. Some people, yes, have stories that are much more difficult than others, but everybody has their story of pain. And a lot of times that pain can be so crazy and raw that, that we think we can never handle it. It's just too big to work through. My issues are too deep and they're too ingrained. It's been, been there since I was a kid. I'm never going to change now because now I'm 60. It's been, you know, 50 years of this that it's impossible to change. And sometimes we end up believing that lie. But the reality is you can. With God's help and others' help, you can actually face those things. I mean, Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. And not always ready to help in times of joy, he is, but, but again, there are difficult things that we face and, and hard emotional stuff that will just, those things that we, we hold down with all our might, hoping they don't pop up and we're just trying to pretend I'm in the joy of Jesus when this is like just robbing me of, of true life. I mean, sometimes it can be like, like a, a speedboat and we, we hit the throttle like, of the power of the Holy Spirit and we're like, the joy of Jesus, here we go, and yet the boat's not going anywhere because it's still tied to the dock because of our emotional brokenness that we're trying to hide and push away and pretend is not, is not there. I mean, you can do it. 
mean, people have worked through the most difficult stuff. You, with God, can do it. Number three, we spiritually bypass when we think there is always a shortcut to emotional healing. And, uh, and I know this because I was there for a long time. And, and, and in a sense, this is a good hope. In a sense, it can be a dangerous hope. It's a good hope because we believe in miracles. Absolutely. And miracles happen. Again, uh, there are stories of, of God stepping in and just taking away, you know, 50 years of emotional junk and just, and just, and just healing that person. But in my experience, that's rare. Most of the time, God's going to want to say, let's, let's walk through this together because there is so much learning as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's so much growth and you can actually begin to relate to others. I mean, God just snapped all our emotional junk away. I mean, it's not helpful in actually connecting with people. And so if you're here, just like, you know, for 20 years, you just keep praying, God, just take this pain away. Just take this pain away. And you've never actually stopped to say, why is this pain here? Where did it come from? I need to learn to express it and get it out on page and invite God into this. Then you may just end up being stuck for the rest of your life. God wants to work with you through your emotional part. And yes, keep praying for a miracle through that. Absolutely. But don't get stuck because you may end up being stuck for the rest of your life. Number four, uh, we spiritually bypass when we do not allow ourselves or others to be human. And sometimes in the church, we don't let each other actually be human. And uh, maybe I feel this more because I'm a, I'm a leader, because this can affect leaders more, because you're kind of the upfront person, and, and you need to look like you have everything together at all the time and every moment, and be happy and, and not have struggles. And, and, and so you, you end up kind of living unhuman. And we can do that between ourselves, because again, sometimes it can be scary walking into the, into the church if you're filled with anxiety and depression, because you're like, if I tell somebody, somebody's going to think I'm not close enough to God. Or if I tell somebody, someone's going to think I'm just a sinner, or there's something wrong with me, and I'm going to feel shame, so I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to hide. We're human. Jesus was human. Fully God, fully man, and if there's one thing we know from Jesus is he allowed himself to be human. In fact, he allows himself to be more human than I think I have ever allowed myself to be human. Maybe you have, because again, sometimes we don't let ourselves be, be human, which leads us to our next point. We spiritually bypass when we believe emotions are bad. A survey of over 70,000 people found that one-third of people judge themselves for having so-called bad emotions like sadness, anger, even grief. If you think emotions are bad, like sadness or brokenness or grief, you will do any, anything and everything you possibly can to spiritually bypass it. Because you'll say, it's not okay to be like that. There's something wrong with me, so I'm going to st stomp on it and hide it. Definitely not going to show anybody else, because if I tell them, they're going to think I'm bad and, and that I'm not a good person. And, and instead of seeing emotions as good and God-given, which they are, again, we would tend to stuff it. And the reality is Jesus showed all these emotions. And sometimes we think that when we feel, you know, emotions of sadness or brokenness or anxiety or, or, or grief, that there's something wrong with us and I must be less than what God wants me to be. Well, Jesus expressed these kinds of emotions and you can't get any closer to Jesus than Jesus was with Jesus because he's Jesus, if that makes sense. And he's, he expressed these things. I mean, yes, we see Jesus. He talks about being filled with his joy. I mean, the most joyous being in the universe is God. 
But when you're filled with joy, and this is a lie that I believe for a long time, that when you're filled with joy does not mean you can't feel deep emotion in other areas, like sadness and anger and grief and frustration, because Jesus did. Yes, joy, but also he was despised and rejected a man of sorrows. Acquainted means that's close to his heart, that he experienced a lot of sorrow and grief. And sometimes we don't like picturing Jesus doing that because, again, that makes us uncomfortable in our sort of modern Christian world or, or anger. And sometimes we get really upset at ourselves for feeling angry or we read some of those psalms that are expressing anger and we're like, that's just not okay. I mean, we just want to spiritually bypass that. And, but Jesus got angry. And we will talk in the series about how to express this in healthy ways because you can do it definitely in unhealthy ways. But it says when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop with them. There are going to be times when it's okay for you to be angry at your spouse, you can be angry at me, angry at the church, angry at your coworkers, because it's, it's natural sometimes. Jesus was angry with his disciples. And so we've got to stop thinking that anger is always bad, and, and if I'm feeling angry, there's something wrong with me, and I'm, I just must not be following Jesus the right way if, if, if I'm angry. Now, if anger always is covering you and has a grip on you, then, then sure, God wants, God wants to work with that. But or John 11, when Jesus saw her weeping... And saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. That was okay for Jesus. That was good and godly and perfect, a hundred percent perfect, because that's who Jesus was. And he was deeply troubled and angry. I mean, the, the Greek word he means to, to, to distort your face. He was so deeply angered at the death he saw in the world and the sadness that the loss of Lazarus called people and just the messiness of this, this, this broken world. Again, that emotions are not bad. Uh, frustration. Jesus got frustrated a lot, it seems. I mean, one time you can just see him, like just, it's almost like he wrote a psalm to the Pharisees <laughs> in Matthew 23. It's basically Jesus' psalm to the Pharisees, express, expressing his frustration. And it's probably as close as you can get to cursing today. I mean, Jesus is saying, you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of, of hell you yourselves are. Blind guides, blind fools, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, snakes, son of vipers. I mean, that's Jesus. And this is perfect. 100% perfect. Because Jesus was perfect. Again, emotions are not bad. It's how you work with them, how you express them. I mean, can lead to whether they are, uh, the outcome is good or bad, but Jesus was frustrated. He was frustrated in Matthew 17. He says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. I don't know how else you can read that other than Jesus was frustrated. I mean, you can make it try to sound nice. You faithless, corrupt people. I mean, it just seems he was frustrated. <laughs> and that's perfect. Jesus expressed that. We see uh, even things like disgust, or you could see extreme anger, greed, racism, oppression of the poor in John 2, where it says Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor. And turned over the tables, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Now we 
would probably look at that and say, that's not okay. And maybe you could say, well, that was because it was Jesus, and we, we can't do that, but Jesus did. But, but again, he's expressing this emotion, and, and no, he was not angry because people were selling things in the church foyer. He was angry because they were, you know, charging a lot these, for the poor people to exchange their offerings. He, he was angry perhaps because they'd set up the market in the court of the Gentiles, and therefore outsiders and non-Jews didn't have a place to, to worship. It was oppression. It was, it was racism. It was, you know, uh, pushing down the poor, and, and it just it made Jesus flip. And Jesus was fully God, fully man. Jesus allowed himself to be human. We've got to allow ourselves to be human. And we've got to allow others to be human. And not just quickly try to slap some spiritual thing over it to try to, to fix it, because the only way it's truly going to be fixed is when you meet someone there and God is invited in, and then you move forward from, from there. Jesus even experienced stress and agony. You know, it says he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And, and, and many of you have, and I have looked at this medically because it's kind of a weird thing, but it's actually a meta, I forget the medical term, but it's like it only happens when you're like extremely stressed and extremely filled with anxiety. And Jesus was extremely stressed and extremely filled with anxiety, so much that he started sweating, sweating blood. And again, we, we sometimes say, well, it's not okay if you're stressed. It's not okay if you're anxious. And we quickly just want to push that away and ignore it and pretend everything's joyful and good and just be happy, brother. It was like, I'm stressed and I'm anxious. And sometimes we just need people to meet us with where we're at. And sometimes you need to meet others where they're at because that's where God is. He's a God who hangs around with the tax collectors and the sinners and the broken, and he starts there in caring for us. Again, we can kind of get lopsided sometimes in the scriptures. I mean, we can look at when Paul says things like this, always be full of joy in the Lord, or do not be anxious about anything. And, and, and so when that's not happening, we'll often come to church with a mask on, because I don't want to have anybody see that I'm not full of joy, and I don't want anybody to see that, that I have anxiety because I'm going to look like a lesser Christian or something like that because Christianity is it's just about being completely joyful all the time and never having any problems or anxiety, and sometimes we can think that way because just the way that the, the church has been over the years in spiritual bypassing, but, but we don't read the, the full story of Paul. There's lots of times that Paul is expressing emotion of brokenness and sadness and, and even anger and frustration. I mean, we see in Romans 9, he's like, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Yet at the same time, he says, always be joyful. Again, there can be this joy in your heart because of Jesus, but at the same time, there's this anger because of someone, what someone did or this grief or, or 2 Corinthians 11. The guy, same guy who said, don't be anxious about anything. He said this, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Don't be anxious at all. I know that. That's the idea. That's what we're working towards. But right now, I am just really, really anxious because I'm trying to keep track of all these churches and there's issues in this church and, you know, the religious people are getting into the, the church of Galatia and I'm just stressed out about this. And, and, I'm, and I'm like, even Paul is saying it's okay to be not okay at times. Again, there's this permission in the Bible where God wants to meet us in our emotions. They are not bad. Even emotions like shame is not bad in itself because it's a cue that leads to something. Uh, and so we spiritual bypass when we believe emotions are bad. Sometimes it's just okay to not be okay. 
And then talk more about this next week. This was like the second half of my sermon, but for next week. Uh, sometimes it's okay to not be okay. You know, there's a fear sometimes. And I've had numerous people and I've talked to people about this, that sometimes, again, when we come into church, that we don't think it's okay to not be okay. Because if I say to someone I'm not okay, they're going to quickly say, well, you know, let me just give you a prayer of joy, you know, you know, fuse you with joy. And it's like, yeah, but I'm hurting. And I need someone to hear me. I need someone to listen. And, and so, again, sometimes we've made it where it's not okay to not be okay in the church. And, and we need to change that. Because this is where healing can really happen in our emotional worlds. Dr. Allison Cook, who just finished her book on emotions, said this, God made you to have emotions. They're an important part of who you are. Pay attention to them and tend them carefully as you would your body or your mind. As you do, they will become wonderful allies on your journey towards wholeness. And we're going to talk more about that next week. I know it's a a bit of a Psalm 88, ending on a, a darker note. But um, let's just take a moment. I'll invite the worship team up. Just uh, spend a moment in reflection. How does God find your soul this morning? If in this moment you were just able to take off your mask and just be honest with what's going down and going on in, in your emotional world, how would God find you? you find you just full of joy with expectation and hope surprise or does he find you broken angry sad in despair wondering if you can even make it another day just acknowledge what is going on in your emotional world. And if you can, just put some words to it and just, just write your own little psalm to God in this moment. It just it doesn't have to be, again, theologically correct, but just, just express how you're feeling. picture yourself inviting God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to surround that emotion. You may just even want to ask Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me in this moment?
sense some putting an arm on your shoulder. You might sense trying God wrapping the arms of love around you. Maybe picture Jesus with his sweet, beautiful, loving eyes saying to you, I understand. I've been there. allow yourself in that emotion to be loved by God just the way you are.